Around the NFL Podcast. Tom Brady is your daddy. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. I'm Dan Hansis. I got some heroes from Virtual Parts Unknown. Well, I know where they are. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler, Ricky Hollywood somewhere in West Hollywood, the boys somewhere in West L.A., we're all together via the internet, though. What's up, guys? Nailed it. Yeah. You, you <laughs> were at the are... office today, though. You know, there's still some people going in, taping the power rankings, right? Yep. I was there, uh, the NFL uh, Network headquarters, and there's more maintenance people there right now than um, employees, it seems. Uh, so there's kind of like an eerie, it's like those zombie movies when... Uh, they're in a mall, and you hear some top 40 radio hit playing, and it's just eerily silent. Otherwise, that's what it's like at the office right now. Um, hopefully, this is a temporary setup where we're doing these shows remotely um, from the podcast, but that kind of came down from Mount Olympus, so that's where we are right now. Uh, we're just happy to be healthy because it seems like half the NFL right now has COVID. I have thought about um, airlifting into the office briefly, uh, just to walk in and get those free slices of pizza. I mean, I oh, thought yeah. about that probably 12, 12 to 13 times a day. <laughs> no, no one's stopping you. No, we'll it's, be there, it's, we'll it's, be there it, Friday. Greg, your, your enthusiasm is contagious. We, 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 we get it. I, I, am, I think you probably think that I like being home. I don't like this at all. Um, this wave of it is um, ponderous at best. It's at speaking, its very best. Yeah, speaking of contagious, uh, the... Um, Omicron variant of the COVID-19 virus. I don't even know what is what anymore. But anyway, it's it's highly contagious. It's ripping through the league. And um, just on Tuesday, we learned that Carson Wentz, who is unvaccinated, was moved to the reserve COVID list. Now, there are a couple wrinkles to this. One, as of taping, we don't know if Wentz has COVID-19 or is a close contact. That's very important because the NFL... Uh, and the NFLPA are in the process, as we speak, of reducing the quarantine time from 10 to 5 days, which means and covering all players, not just vaccinated or uh, vaccinated players. So even an unvaccinated player like Wentz could play Sunday if he's deemed close contact and not actually having the disease. However, it's just the latest for the NFL in a unending trend, uh, trend here where I believe 96 players tested positive on Monday alone, which was a record. Uh, it has turned the league upside down. And the Colts, as an example, a team that was surging to me, seemed like a, a Super Bowl contender and still are, whether Wentz misses a game or not. But it just shows you how fragile everything has become. And how it's fluid. Like, I get people are like upset that the rules keep changing. It was like, what did you expect? <laughs> like, like it, it's kind of like the teams that are that are saying after the fact, it's like, yeah, I know we were down 18 players, but that's no excuse. You got to, well, yeah, you got to go win a ball game. Ah, well, it is an excuse. There's an unprecedented global pandemic and you're missing a third of your roster. All of this is unprecedented. And I give some of that excuse latitude to how things have changed because it's not like I expect the NFL to have some greater beat on this than the larger world. This goes back to the conversation we had like, March and April, in some ways, in terms of the testing and, and the way that the NFL's head um, handled this, it has sort of been um, 
an example of how businesses can operate, but it's not like they're going to solve or figure out any of these rules or change it any better than the CDC who is changing rules on the fly. So they're just, it's like they're trying to get everything done possible, but I also don't know, like, I, I, I don't, I'm not like that angry at everything. You know what I mean? I, I know there's a lot of like, there's reasons to be upset about that this is all happening, obviously, but I'm not really sure like who that needs to be angered toward, towards other than just life. Your God. I, I tend to be with you, Greg, because it's like I, I would rather they remain, you know, flexible slash, you know, nimble to use like a corpo term um, and address it as the best they can. I mean, I think the cynical side is sort of like, well, the NFL is going to do whatever it takes to play the games and you're going to get games like we saw on Monday night. Um, and in previous weeks and something about that is not I don't feel angry I feel sort of like a dull ominous um, almost uh, growing apathy if this is what it's going to look like the rest of the season but it is what it is I I think for me though it's in again I think inside the locker rooms a lot of these players seem to have respect for each other whether they were vaccinated or not what that our take I think on this is very clear and has been all along go do it for the people around you but the unvaccinated players are tangibly costing their teams immense opportunities and huge moments. I mean, for Carson Wentz to make the decision he made to not get vaccinated and to have this happen right now, and he's not the, you know, the linchpin to the entire team, but what if this happens to another unvaccinated quarterback out there? That, that would be the case. I mean, Darius Leonard is unvaccinated. Losing him costs them. I mean, I, just, I, just, I, I think that the decision inside an NFL team is a little different than for some of us floating around town making that decision on our own. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge because it, it con- connects to everyone. The Chargers are another example. Mike Williams, unvaccinated. Joey Bosa, unvaccinated. That creates a bigger issue. Now, of course, people that are vaccinated and boosted are also getting sick right now. That's taking them out of the mix. But when you're unvaccinated, at least the rules currently in place, it really puts uh, added stress on a team. And I think whether we want it this way or not, we, we obviously don't, but we just need to, as football fans, as people covering the sport, uh, the teams themselves just have to adapt. And it's like, I think with the NFL right now, and you're seeing with the shifting protocols in right now, it's like the old March Madness adage, survive in advance. They're now just trying to get through the season without it becoming farce. And uh, it's just, I, I think the frustration uh, comes out of the fact that Man, this started in March 2020. We went underground. We had bunker casts. We saw the NBA season shut down MLB. The NFL went full speed ahead and somehow survived it. We got through it. And then this year, 2021, we had full houses and stadiums across the country. Uh, People were going on vacations again, and it felt like you were getting through it. And now things are shutting down again, and the leagues are being impacted. And I think there's just this general human situation where it's just like oh my god we're going through this again so i think the nfl is just kind of like it's a microcosm of the greater world right now where we're just like exhausted but have no choice but to continue to try to make this work well and it's this is such a different time now than last spring because like everyone you know 95 percent of the league is vaccinated and boosted you know we're we're required to you know to work at the league so everyone is protected in a way that's so much stronger than, than they were before. And I think what you're seeing now is, okay, organizations like the CDC and the NFL are like having to adapt to like, how are we just going to live with this? Cause it's not necessarily going away. It's certainly not going away this season. And 
the NFL has actually been helpful, I think, of just like showing what the public, what's happening at the public at large in general. If a quarter of the NFL has tested positive over the last three weeks, which is the number, which is crazy if you think crazy. about it, a quarter, uh, that's probably about what it is in, in the public, at least in the public that is like going to work and interacting with other people. Obviously, there's a different segment that are that are staying home and being very safe, not working at offices and stuff. For for people that are out in in the mix and working, like okay, it's probably like a quarter of of that population has been infected at some point in the last three or four weeks, whether whether you know it or not. And uh, I, yeah, I hope like it already has impacted the playoff races and stuff like that. To me, it's, it's just unfortunate, but it's just kind of like, what are you going to do about it? Greg, there is one thing, one positive for you that came out of this. Okay. Really? Our friend, our good buddy, Zach Kiefer, who wrote that beautiful piece on Chris Wessling for the athletic. And uh, I do urge you guys to check it out. They removed it from the paywall for a period last week. Uh, I don't know if it's still that case, but worth checking in. I'll, I'll, I'll link it on Twitter if you're interested. But anyway, the Athletics Zach Kiefer reports the Colts have discussed contacting free agent Philip Rivers <laughs> after Carson Wentz was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list Tuesday. I don't know. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me uh, just because even if, if Wentz misses a game, wouldn't Sam Ellinger, the backup, be a better option than Rivers off the street on like three days notice? I don't know. It just seems kind of silly, but also a fun little story, especially for the people who love Rivers. It, it would be fun. No, I would think, depending, I don't know how good Sam Ellinger is, but we've seen some of these backups come in. I, I would kind of think Rivers on three days rest, I mean, would have done a lot better than Ian Book on on Monday night. It, I um I don't know, though, because these rules, like, okay, so there's a chance that Carson Wentz, even if he did test positive, which we don't know, we're taping at a tough time, could play on Sunday even though he's unvaccinated if he doesn't have symptoms. But it's also, it comes down to the symptoms. I think one thing, you know, that we've seen with players coming back or not, even when they are vaccinated, like everyone's on a different timeline. A lot of them, including like Baker, for instance, are needing to take that 10 days because they're not testing out of it. And so we don't know all the details of how they'll change these rules. But I think, you know, it makes sense that they're trying to get the asymptomatic players, especially whether you're, you know, either way back on the field sooner than later. And it's, you know, it, it stinks for the teams that, that lost these guys uh, a couple weeks ago when the rules were different. I mean, right. think about Allen Robinson, who's, who came back saying that he lost 10 pounds. So, you know, it's, it, there are hot, heavy cases of asymptomatic scenarios, but, it's not the case all around. I mean, here's Taylor the thing, Heineke the... said he couldn't walk up and down, you know, to do his laundry and stuff. There is a difference of like of these cases. You're right. Like some some players, Deion Dawkins thought it was life threatening, you know, not too long ago. It is great for HBO if suddenly you've got Philip Rivers riding in on horseback uh, to save the Colts in week 16 or 17 or 18. I mean, that's kind of I kind of fascinating. Doubt. I somehow doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't. I'm not as fascinated with Philip Rivers as I see a subset of individuals. Um, there seems to be a Philip Rivers collective. I I understand. I mean, it. if you um, haven't if you haven't raced to your premium cable outlet to watch Hard Knocks at this point, you're probably. I don't know if Rivers is the one that puts you over the top, but maybe. I'm sure well, they I mean, would welcome people that being are plugged in into mix. that show. I'm not suggesting it that was, it's going to yank right. you back in or, or I, myself. You know, I might check it out sometime in the off season. Although I doubt it. Uh, it's just <laughs> right. tough. It's tough. In season, because I've heard from people that have watched it that this Tom Brady man in the arena thing is great. Like, especially if you're a Patriots fan, but even even from non-Patriots fans, it's really well done. It's really interesting. But it's like, 
that that's why they did the last dance. You know, the last dance came out during COVID. That's why it was a big hit. Like everyone wanted some football content. Throw that thing out in May or June, and I would eat up some Tom Brady. I don't need I don't need Tom Brady. Very strange. Right now. I'm totally Bingo. with you on that. Like and hard knocks, and I love hard knocks. Nobody loves hard knocks more than me, but I think maybe there was a um there was a sense that they didn't realize how much timing plays into the appeal of the show that it lands at the time where people are starved for football. It's the perfect time for a show like that to show up. Uh, then again, I haven't checked the ratings. Maybe they're doing better numbers than they did. I mean, we're happy for our coworkers at NFL films. A lot of people are getting paid oh, and sure. working, um, working on a new production. So that's good. And, and box yes. being checked by Greg. Nice, nicely done, <laughs> Greg. True. And, uh, I'm all set with uh, like 17 part Tom Brady retrospectives personally, but I'm sure there is a large audience for that. Now, speaking of large audiences, We've you know, one. back back in the 80s and early 90s, there was a, a very large audience on uh, Friday nights, I believe it was, but it started to move around. But you always knew you'd have Robert Stack there. It was Unsolved Mysteries uh, on NBC, the Peacock Network, and. It is time now, with just two weeks remaining in the regular season, to offer up some of our own unsolved mysteries in the NFL. Get ready for that. Spooky as hell. Spooky as <laughs> uh, But before we get to that, yes, let's wrap up. Let's put a bow. Let's put a Christmas bow. On week 16, Monday Night Football. Third quarter, trips to the left. Now they put Lindsey back in the backfield. They flip it on the inside of the wall. A Waddle touchdown. Confused everybody. What a great call. A great call indeed. Dolphins Radio Network. Charles Gotze, you know, we've had our fun on this show and other shows have as well with all the different offensive coordinators in place for the Dolphins, but they seem to be a team that had a game plan on Monday night against the Saints, and a lot of that revolved around young Jalen Waddle, who's really developing into a, a star in year one. The Dolphins got enough offense, and the defense did the rest uh, with eight sacks of poor Ian Book in a 20-3 win over the Saints. The Dolphins now become the first team in NFL history to have a seven-game losing streak and a seven-game winning streak in the same year, and that could only happen in 2021. That I am, there is absolutely something in the in the water this season. Uh, so there you go. The Dolphins eight and seven, currently in possession of that second playoff spot, and if they win their last two games, Greg, they are going to the dance and we would become one of the most unlikely playoff teams, really ever. And I think they could do it. They would have to beat the Titans, you know, this week. The the pass rush t- against that Titans offensive line. We'll talk about that later in the week. But this game was just like one to get out of the way. They could have played it ten times. I don't think Ian Book and the Saints are going to score more than ten points in any of them. This Dolphins pass rush uh, is awesome, uh, but it's exactly what you would expect from a fourth string quarterback. Uh, who was a third-day draft pick, rookie, playing behind, at the beginning of the game, the sixth and seventh-string tackles of the Saints. And then during the game, there was an injury, so it became the seventh and eighth-string tackles of the Saints. They were also missing a ton of defensive players. Of course, a lot of these were injuries, not just COVID, but they were they were hammered by COVID, and this Dolphins 
um, good luck that they've had in terms of their opponents definitely carried over into Monday night because I think you looked at what the Dolphins offense did, putting up only 13 points in that game. And, and you think, well, if they if they had Taysom, uh, they would have had a chance or Trevor Simeon, maybe they would have had a chance in some of their other players. But uh, the ball's bouncing the Dolphins way this year. Yeah, I mean, it's I. I I really felt for the Saints because they had, you know, more than 25% of their active roster were were call-ups. Sean Payton talked about the fact that they were um, fitting players for equipment. Um, You know, the day of the game, they had never been in Saints uniform before on any level. And, you know, I mean, I still, that defense. One guy hadn't played football in four years. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, we're we're in like, um, you know, for those of a certain age, you look, you remember back to the 1987, like, strike where they, they had the, the so-called scabs come in for three weeks, and it was guys that a week earlier were um, you know, working in like Sean factories. Sean Payton was one of like, them. Remember Sean Payton? Absolutely. Was yeah. He was a Scab. Bears quarterback, yeah. Uh, but I just I look at, you know, like last night, Marcus Davenport, for instance, Cam Jordan, like Marshawn Lattimore gave him a chance with that interception, and the offense just could, you know, two weeks in a row with Taysom against the Bucks, this offense just cannot deliver. And last night you knew that you knew they wouldn't deliver it. They were doomed. And Ian Book, like I walk away with like, yeah, he didn't look good, but I I'll wait another day to discern oh. what sort of player he is. It was in a I terrible mean, situation. Honestly, like if anyone deserves a make good from the football gods down the line, it's Ian Book. I hope he gets a, a better opportunity. Uh, and this isn't like how we remember him, because frankly, this is a, another example of how unfair um, and how difficult it is to be trying to play this season during a pandemic that's exploding. There's no reason that kid should have been on the field. It was the detriment to him uh, personally and the team, and they had no other choice. They you should had, have called you, up Philip Rivers. You could have called up Phil Rivers, but Jameis Winston on IR, Taysom Hill, COVID, Trevor Simeon, COVID. So you run out this poor kid who gets obliterated uh, by this hard-charging Dolphins defense that smelled blood in the water and with the with the saints to me they're the ravens of the afc a a once promising team that simply has endured too much that the walls have eventually caved in here because nobody i don't care who your coach is uh there's no way you could sustain this so that that's just a tough break and i know their playoff hopes are still somewhat intact although it's becoming more and I mean, more they got, long Falcons, they got panthers falcons so those are two winnable games so win for them two if they get a lot of these players back which they they probably should including their quarterback it's the tackles that that's hurt them but they set an nfl record last night for the most starters used in in, in a season right. and it's and not that's like kind we of needed the, that extra week that is crazy that's the well, larger that's, point that's to your ravens point and, i think and it's yeah. like yeah maybe you could you could look ahead and say they'll get healthy well the way things have gone, it could get worse from here, you know, and I, I would say it's more likely that's where it goes because it's just one of those star-crossed seasons. And and back to the Dolphins, uh, all right, let's see it. Let's see it now because I'm not alone on this. I still am not buying in. I have them at, at like 12 on the power rankings just because when you win seven in a row, you got to keep moving up as the weeks go along. Uh, but this has been a an absurdly easy schedule. It's been a historically easy schedule. Uh, the Ian Book thing was crazy that that fell into their lap and what should have been a must-win game for the Saints uh, at home in prime time and it all kind of got washed away so the Dolphins take care of business again but now Titans now Patriots and if you really are a team that I should be taking seriously win both these games complete this unlikely journey otherwise uh thanks for the memories and we, we move on with the real relevant teams in the AFC. if they beat the Titans with AJ Brown back and they and they show you know th- that they can answer on offense to some degree 
that would help me a lot. I, I'm with you to some degree, Dan, on, in terms of like what I think about Miami. But I mean, to to go do what they've done on defense, they are a legitimate team. You do not want to deal with. I just I I think they have. This is what they did a year ago. They diagnose quarterbacks and make life hell. And I'm not just talking about Ian Book. And it has been a soft schedule. But I mean, there's a reason we've never seen a team do this to this to, they, to this extent. They, a lot a lot of it is scheduled, but the Titans' offensive line is not much is not much better. I mean, they they can go win this game. The the problem, and I think it showed up last night, is the Dolphins' offensive line is even worse. They are dead last in pass blocking uh, grades, according to PFF. They are dead last in pass block win rate, according to ESPN. When you get all the analytics sides who are kind of clashing uh, to agree on something, that means you're the worst. And Tua has actually helped out this offensive line. This this sometimes unwatchable offense where he has to get rid of the ball in 2.2 seconds because that's what he does well. It's like, that's the only thing that would work with this offensive line. It, he has to play that way. But the last two weeks, and Dolphins fans, I know you agree, even though he made a couple uh, nice throws last night. He's played two of his worst games of the season in a row, back-to-back, coming off the bye. He has made about three or four turnover-worthy plays in each of these games. And the style of offense they play, you got to thread that needle. It's like a small margin for error. He needs to be a caretaker. He needs to be like the Alex Smith on the Chiefs type of guy. If he's given chances to the other teams like he did three or four times last night, like they're going to lose that game in Tennessee or they're going to lose in New England. And unfortunately, they probably got to win them both to get into the playoffs. Hey, listen. Locked up the Dolphins. Big win. I got a two-game lead with two to play. Oh, that's in the why Mark season. was like, you know, sending us like vicious tweets, texts last <laughs> oh, night. Oh, I, you're, you're I much happier now. I never uh, <laughs> had any issue with you locking them up necessarily. I'm I'm post giving an f about any of that at this at I, this stake. And I just you know, give me a break. I, I listen when when Vegas. I think the thing with the lock competition is uh, is like. Check out the spreads. Look for some things that stand out as inconsistencies. And I, I thought that the the Saints only getting three was bizarre with that defense and Ian Book's level of inexperience, and it played out exactly like that. So a lot of that people, I think, money. probably made a lot of money on because I think I think they agreed with you. It was like the un, you're right. It's like I don't think Vegas knows what to do with this COVID stuff because it's like yeah, in theory, I get it. Like these uh, the underlying numbers of the Saints are are pretty great, but it's like though that wasn't the Saints. You gotta just and you gotta just adjust it. People more. coming after me on Twitter, like look at the mirror, look. Listen, dude, I'm not looking to win medal of uh, uh, valors here. I'm just I'm looking to win games, and you know it's well, a let, three. let me ask you a question. Let's Minus say I three. locked them up, and you uh, on an island game in this situation, would you be as charitable towards me? I would have been like, I'm joining you on that because this is easy money. Well, let's well, say you literally went, what let's I did. Say, let's say that you went down a different avenue, and then I like won this lock. Would would there be any? Would there not be a word or two of like, well, Mark, that was very questionable, but if that's what you needed yeah, to you do. You make a little joke. Dan, my my official comment joke. is that's neither here nor there, Mark. Well, that is, that is of course, that's what you're going to say. But I mean, I think everyone listening understands how that would have been handled. Mark, one of, the, one of, my, one of my joys, uh, things that I like about this podcast, and there's so many things, it's been one of the great things that I've ever had in my life, is riling up the quiet storm. It, it sometimes, it, it gives me a little... You know, little juice. Well, I'm two down now because of a disastrous two weeks where I went against the Colts. Um, I have learned major Ooh. lessons. I'm not touching that team again all year. They okay, poisoned that, me. Locking well, up the team what, that's won nine of ten did not did not pay off. 
What about Sam Ellinger, though? Maybe you want to lock mm. up against him again, but the Raiders, they kind of stay. I don't know. We'll get to all that <laughs> on Thursday. Let's take a break, and then we're going to try to solve some mysteries. This program is about unsolved mysteries. Whenever possible, the actual family members and police officials have participated in recreating the events. What you're about to see is not a news broadcast. Yes, welcome back to the broadcast and or the podcast, I should say. And it is time. The NFL regular season, a strange a season as you can ever recall, has two weeks remaining in the regular season. In Mark, the biggest season ever. Football is family. Football is now your family. They can they can throw any slogan they want Ooh. at what we're witnessing. Five and days now, off, though. Five, and five days of no football. After eight primetime games in ten days, we have five <laughs> days of no football, Mark. <laughs> well, I comment, don't, eight, Mark? eight out of ten days was a bit heavy. I mean, it was a little bit. It's like I would like to eat those pizza slices I mentioned. I, don't, I wouldn't want it to be the only thing I eat nonstop every meal all day long. I totally get it. I get it. The commissary, it's all on the arm, as Keith Hansis would say. We're not paying for it. You know what's the only thing better than pizza? Free pizza. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's been a mysterious, spooky NFL season. And now we're going to try to, well, what we're going to do here is kind of uh, open up, open the kimono of mystery here and lay out some things that are completely impossible to decipher to the average Mm. person, Um, perhaps to us. And then we'll try to use logic to to crack the mystery. Now, as you know, Mark, as a, a child of the 80s, um, sometimes you get that update. And when you get the update and then something, update. And then they tell you, this man did see an alien. Actually, it turns out he was clinically insane and they put him in an asylum. Like, it's good to get the update. We can't hit you with an update right now. But here's the good thing about football. All these unsolved mysteries will get the update by February. That we can promise you. Or a little after. Let's get into it. Mark, you are a conspiracy theorist. This program is right up your alley. The segment's up your alley. So get us going with the first Unsolved Mystery. All right, I will title this Project Poison Beak. And here's what I'm unfurling to you. Have the Cardinals been subject Mm -hmm. to a hush-hush government op aimed at gathering data on what happens when an entire football team and its coaching staff, unbeknownst to them, ingest pure strain psilocybin via the team cafeteria's soft-serve ice cream machine, One big issue is that Kyler Murray is obsessed with that vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, Neapolitan swirl option and has spent the past 21 days in a trenchant haze. This is another way of asking, are these birds cooked? Have they migrated into a netherworld? Can Kyler win big games under the lights? Is Cliff Kingsbury built for the long haul, etc., etc., etc.? You know, everybody drink, by the way, uh, psilocybin reference by Mark Sessler. Well, um, they did. Do, like the government some... did do LSD experiments for years and years. Looking right, at... I, I'd like to drink some psilocybin. You know, little New Year's Eve or something. It's been <laughs> too back long. in New Orleans. Uh, in so the unsolved days. mystery is: Are the Cardinals cooked? Have they peaked? It's a it's a great one because I the way I look at the Cardinals right now is yes, they fit every profile as one of those teams. They started seven and zero. They're five and eight since. They've lost their best playmaker on the outside. 
They seem to have lost that confidence and that mojo that made them so special to start the year. Uh, they could be kind of heading towards that 10-7 and 7 finish and then a wipeout in the first round and then a ton of questions. However, Kyler Murray is special. So that's, to me, like boring down a little more. The unsolved mystery is how special is Kyler Murray? I think the next few weeks are a critical test because the true franchise star can put a team on its back and take them out of a valley and get him back to the peak. If he doesn't, a year after they faded uh, in 2020, and I understand he was injured that year, uh, I think questions will start to build not just around Cliff Kingsbury, but Kyler Murray as well. I'm not worried about Kyler. You know, I, I am a little worried about this coaching staff and Cliff Kingsbury. Certainly they'll look better when they get Rondale Moore, James Conner back. Maybe they will for, for this Dallas game this week. But the tweet going around on Tuesday that really caught my eye about Cliff Kingsbury's record in the first seven games uh, of his season compared to after that is remarkable. This, this goes back to Texas Tech. He's 42-20. and 20 in the first seven games, and 16-43 and 43 after that. If you just want to do the Cardinals, they're 15-5-1 in the first seven games and 8-18 eight and eight, eight and 18 after that. So it may, maybe it's just weird numbers sticking against the wall, but whatever the idea that um, is around that the first couple months of the season are one thing and then teams start adjusting to what you've done and it's on you to adjust to that, it's like they're not doing any adjusting. They're playing their worst when it matters the most. There are there are a lot of examples of teams, including the Super Bowl Cardinals, including the 2018 Patriots, including the Ravens when they won the Super Bowl, who stunk in December and turned it back on. This team has the juice and the players to be that sort of team. I don't know if they have the coaching staff, though. Most, most of those numbers that you mentioned for Arizona's fast start, I mean, obviously come this year because they were 5-10-1, and 10 and 1 under his first season. Now, last year, I would attribute that to the to the to the Kyler Murray injury. But I in really all would. seven, they were worse in their last after the first seven. Like that's been consistent every single season. There is something crazy about that. It's crazy. It's, I mean, I I think part of it is his system. Like people were still learning to some degree, but they were fast starters. They, I think, I'm with Dan. I just feel like a a classic team that peaked. And I mean, they looked unstoppable a month ago. If they were to get wiped out by Dallas. I mean, the end of this season is about as ugly as one could author. All right, let us move on. Up next, a question that I know you've thought about, Mark Sessler. It's Baker Mayfield playing his final games for the Cleveland Browns. Is he playing for his future with back-to-back games against the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cincinnati Bengals. And how crazy is it that we're even having this conversation considering where things were in September? I will cite a report from the Akron Beacon Journal, Marla Ridnor, who said the Browns are likely to bring in competition for Baker Mayfield in 2022. She also uh, wrote in the article that the four-interception performance against the Packers on Christmas provided Browns brass with, quote, even more minuses on their ledgers when deciding whether to offer Mayfield an extension with his contract expiring after 2022. Mark, do you believe that these next two weeks mean everything for your quarterback? 
I don't know if he can really dig himself out of the hole unless he were to have two spectacular showings. They made the playoffs and they got back to where they were a year ago and maybe won a playoff game. And then you can look back at all this and say, you know, the shoulder, um, COVID, other things around him, you know, fell apart. Um, I think more likely the last game is tough because you don't have to extend them. I think he's here next year. And I do think that Stefanski has a lot of faith in him. I mean, if he melts totally over the next two weeks, I think they are a candidate because you already have heard them linked to like the Deshaun Watson situation. They're a candidate to explore. I don't think competition for Baker Mayfield, but a big name replacement. I don't know what competition means because if you have the number one draft pick and like you're bringing in Case Keenum is competition around what you could get. And so it's like, what does that mean? I think you would go get the Russell Wilson. You go after someone like Deshaun Watson or you stuck, you stick with him for one more year and have a real look at who he is. Now, I think the problem is I think they and we kind of know what he is right now, and it's that's the depressing mm-hmm. part. I don't think this is what I thought of him at all even six, seven weeks ago. They are already showing with reports like that that this could be coming. I'm, I'm glad you, you threw this mystery out. It, it is fascinating because it reminds me of something that happened a couple weeks ago that really caught my eye, and it was a couple reports in the Cleveland papers questioning Kevin Stefanski's play calling and whether Baker Mayfield was put in the best position uh, in terms of what Stefanski was calling, late-game situations, very, very pro-Baker piece with some sources. That, As in I, that Stefanski is putting him in a bad position intentionally? Right, that, that he's doing a bad... He's basically, that they're... They've done a bad job play calling. I, I forget which local paper. I forget which paper it was. Didn't that's get a, a conspiracy lot, theory. Didn't get a lot of buzz, but it got me thinking like, well, the Browns read that piece and they might have their guesses of where that's coming from. Someone trying to protect Baker after one of his worst games of the year. And I started to think like, ooh, this is ugly. Like this is, we're already getting into like the he said, she said stuff of like, who's at fault there? And I don't think Baker would survive that because Baker has a little has trade value. That's the thing. Like in these in these deals where Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson or something, it's like Baker's a nice piece to have. Doesn't mean he's going to change your franchise, but he has trade value. Absolutely. That that was the point I was about to make, which is they picked up the final year of his rookie deal. The extension is probably not happening at this point, so he becomes a tradable asset. Uh, it was very similar to the uh, Sam Darnold situation where. The, and the Panthers made the decision then to pick up his option, but uh, the same draft class. My point being that he doesn't have a big financial commitment. Maybe you take him on and he upgrades your quarterback position. You get a look at him at a not a very high cost. Case Keenum is under contract for one more year. He knows who he is. He's a backup. Uh, Baker Mayfield is not the type of guy I don't think that would be cool with st- sticking around in Cleveland if they went and brought in someone that became the logical starter. So maybe a, a fresh break for both sides would be in order. But I think, again, to me, I think the story is yet to be written, even if it seems like the writing's on the wall. I think if he balls out here and they end up stealing the AFC North, I think it could change everything. And then all that stuff that you were saying, Mark, about how beat up he's been uh, and he has been, uh, the idea of, okay, look at how he finished this year. Uh, look at his his body of work uh, last year, and he's had moments throughout his career and maybe they talk themselves into it. But I think if he continues to play at a substandard level, I think they're going to act, but we'll Here, see. Here, here's one thing I see on the horizon, though. Let's say they beat Pittsburgh and he plays fine. Okay, 
it's going to be ugly when he is massively outdueled by Joe Burrow and the in-state Cincinnati Bengals in the final game of the season. That's how this thing ends. They're so not do you? They're not so you don't? Those teams. It doesn't. It sounds like your confidence really has been shaken quite oh, entirely. Guess, I yeah. have no confidence in this team. I think it's. I well, think not that the team. I'm talking about Baker in the whole, in general. The whole him in the whole thing. I think that mm. to Greg's point, where these reports are so it's so counter to a year ago. There's something very dark about these reports, and uh, you know, we I think Browns fans thought you would escape this, and you have not. I think right. the Browns front office, though, is like a decisive group. I and because of that, uh, I think they would get rid of. It. I do want to clarify just what the report was. It was when Baker talked to Kurt Warner, and he mentioned having to overcome a lot of internal things, uh, and then there was a Mary Kay Cabot report of a growing disconnect between Stefanski and Mayfield about play calling and whether they've talked about it or not. Mary Kay said that there's been a disconnect uh, about the the style of play calling. Interesting. Okay, okay. Greg, uh, you're up next in unsolved mystery. And by the way, Greg, I'm just curious. I think I've asked you this question before, but you were born age 32 standing up. Have you ever seen unsolved mysteries? No, I never watched it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, not a judgment. I mean, thing, I've seen it many times because I was, you know, flipping through the channels or even I was young enough to be like turning the dial, I sure. believe, you sure, know, sure. Uh, but I don't I never stuck on it. All right, cool. All right. What's your unsolved mystery, <laughs> Greg Rosenthal? <laughs> well, we're, let's stay in the quarterback uh, realm since these are connected. My unsolved mysteries is what's Russell Wilson's trade value when he gets put on the market? Because... I think he's getting put on the market by his own uh, people. Whether the Seahawks want to trade him or not, I think the Russell Wilson camp is going to be running this show. Pete Carroll says he's been having great conversations with Jody Allen, their owner, that he doesn't want to change philosophies at all, that he has a very tight relationship. And, and I just am curious if the last 20 games of Russell Wilson's play impacts what his trade value is whatsoever. Because he hasn't played that well. Fair question. I, I think my feeling is that a team would be willing to gamble the house on the idea that he's still just 33 and maybe things just got a little stale in Seattle. And if you give him the right supporting cast, fresh coaching, he becomes that superstar guy for another five to eight years. I, I think there's a team out there and probably multiple teams that will – give up everything to get him. And I, and I mean, give up everything like what we're hearing for the Sean Watson, like thir three first round picks or two, you know, two first round picks and a second, something like that. I think he still has that value, but I think it's a fair point because his body of work is underwhelming, quite frankly, over the past two seasons. I, I don't think um, I, I see what you're coming from because it's not been the same Russell Wilson and this season, especially um, we've become used to seeing subpar play from him, which is, you know, quizzical compared to everything else. But I mean, I think of the last 20 games of Matthew Stafford before he came to Los Angeles, where it's like you're going to have teams and coaches that just look at Russell Wilson and say, I, clean slate. I don't care what happened with Seattle as the organization was slightly crumbling around him and him, him as well. I think his value will be supreme. Um, Russell Wilson, you, your entire team and organization changes spiritually, physically for the next five, six, seven years. And you sell tickets. You've got, you've got an immediate identity. I think it's just too attractive from ownership mm. to coaches who think they can fix everything to the locker room. I mean, it would absolutely alter the way that we view whatever team went and no, got Let him. me connect the dots here. Cause it's, it's right there for us. 
uh, Baker and two number ones and a three for Russell Wilson. Oh, you're the, and you're Andrew ones. Barry, uh, Mark Sessler. Well, I I think number one, you you the Brett, the Browns are going to be very bold if they want to make this decision. The same way that we saw with the Rams. I would make that move, but here's the thing. I don't think Russell Wilson would ever go to Cleveland because of who he's married to, because of a wide variety of things. I just think that's a long shot. I think that mm. if the Jets wanted to turn that into some sort of scenario, I think they'd have a better chance, um, the Giants especially. The Giants have already been named as, a, as an obvious candidate. Right, and think about all the other... T- I, I agree with you guys that ultimately he'll go for a ton I to me I I feel a little buyer beware because it was the second half of last season was ugly. That's a pretty long stretch here, where you wonder if he's going to age as gracefully as some of these other quarterbacks. You you know he reminds me a little bit bit of Ben. I mean you still would buy in, but I'd be buyer beware. But it's ultimately a seller's market. Think of the teams that are going to be desperate for a Russell Wilson type player: Broncos, Saints, Texans, Browns, WFT, Carolina. Jets. It only takes one or two to make like that market incredibly high and someone to convince. Right, Greg, so. Greg, let's say you were a general manager and a report came out that Greg Rosenthal, the general manager, decided not to pull, you know, not to pull the switch on a Russell Wilson trade because he was concerned about Russell Wilson's last 20 games. You would be fried on that city's sports radio um, <laughs> to no end. I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that's how anyone else is going to think about him. I, just I, think some, like, I think some teams will, but not, not all. I, all mean, right. I, I think it's a, it's a concern. Greg, you still kind of like the Patriots. Uh, how about Mac Jones, a first and a, thir- a first I'd and a second? I'd rather have Mac Jones than Russell Wilson for sure. Period. I'm not, I'm not too high on Mac Jones. I mean, Russell Wilson right now. To me, I don't want to be giving up first round, a ton of first round picks for Russell Wilson right now. I already have a first round pick, you know, in that scenario. It's Mac Jones. Wait, did I hear that right? Did you just say, wait, why did the, mm, I just saw the Vikings signed a quarterback. Kirk is not vaccinated. Interesting. I'll be tracking that. Um, did you just say you wouldn't trade Mac Jones for or Russell Wilson for Mac Jones? Yeah. I mean, I would say that about, about 15 guys in the league right now. And, and Russ- especially guys on rookie what about contracts. Jo- what about Justin I, Fields, where, where Chicago was a, a target? Wait a second. <laughs> okay. I don't understand how more... Mac Jones... I mean, Mac Jones, to me, would, would be moved in a second for Russell Wilson, but okay. you, you are very low on him. I, I, um, I don't know. Like, Russell Wilson's good. Like, he's definitely a mid-level starting quarterback at this point, but that's all he's been for a, for a year and a half now. And uh, I'd rather have like a rookie with a little higher ceiling that's that that young. Hey, hey, Ru- hey, Ricky, where do you are you? Am I crazy? Um, I mean, and I'm not that high on Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is going to be like you know the tenth best quarterback in the league. But I kind of rather that wow. on a rookie contract okay. than giving giving like yeah, kind of with you. Like Greg. who's had a better year this year, Mac Jones or Russell Wilson? It's uh, it's it is it's, environment it's though, Greg. Like oh, there is an environment towards Russell Wilson's it's an apples and oranges Seattle. comparison. Yeah, I but just, Russell Wilson has like Tyler Lockett. He's got DK Metcalf, and like they he's solid. Right. I'm not I'm not saying he couldn't have like a great second you know career elsewhere. It definitely could happen, but it also might not. Like he might just be fine somewhere else. I, I, I have know. a sneaking suspicion this take is going to age very poorly, Greg, but. 
hey, you might be right. No, he's going to we'll be see. dancing on TikTok with Sierra in the next couple of years for his, for an income. <laughs> oh, he is such a future Dancing with the Stars guy. Maybe he's already done it. I don't know. Um, all right, let's take a break, and we'll go one more time around with some Unsolved Mysteries. Welcome back. Mark, one more. All right, I'm looking at my list here. Uh, will men's fashion ever improve? Not that one. Let's go here. Mystery. What's Does wrong with Lamar men's fashion? J- Oh, I think it's absurd. Go ahead. We've got some work to do on that front. Um, Does Lamar Jackson have a great game left in him in this season? Hmm. And does it even matter? Hmm. I'm trying to remember the great game he's had this year, first of all. I mean, it's it happened a it long like time week, ago. It was like week five or so, week seven. Uh, the Minnesota second half, that was probably week seven. I mean, that's it's a long time ago. I'm going to say it matters for sure. Um because I think they'd be dangerous if they could somehow win uh, these games. And they are playing the Rams, so it matters for them too. I want to believe it, so I'm going to say say yes. Their their offense hasn't been the problem since Lamar left. Like Their offense was fine against Cincinnati. If he can get back in there, it's good weapons. I, 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 I'm not ready to totally give up on them yet because of that one week. This is a big... This is a big uh, couple weeks here for the Lamar heads out there. Uh, the the Lamar army is strong. Uh, there has always been a fierce level of defense for Jackson. Uh, whenever the team struggles, uh, it's it's very rarely put on his shoulders. And yet, I think we've reached a stage now where even the Lamar army needs to hang some of the Ravens' downfall on the quarterback if they if they continue this path. And I understand, again, this is a strange season uh, and they've been absolutely gutted by injuries. But wouldn't you – doesn't it – is it asking too much for Lamar, if he gets back from this ankle injury, to put together two great games to close the season and be the superstar that they need him to be and perhaps carry them to the AFC North title? Um, I don't think so. If he's as good as everyone says and he's got an MVP trophy, he's like Kyler Murray, like like Baker Mayfield, like these guys. But Baker's obviously in a different category. What I mean is these guys that are the linchpins of the franchise, you need them to do what Josh Allen did on on Sunday in Foxborough and put a team on your back. Can he do it? It's a big test. I see why a lot of stuff slips off Jackson's back in terms of critique because He'll make the same mistakes that a that a Baker or someone else will make, but Baker doesn't have that special component to his game that even if we haven't seen a lot of that from Lamar Jackson with the way they've been defended, you know it's there. You know he can do it. And so I think Greg's optimism, you're kind of just rooting for it to happen. That's where I think Jackson's supporters and loyalists are kind of stuck right now because it's not inevitable, where it felt inevitable with him a year ago or two. Well, it felt inevitable eight weeks ago. He, he was on a lot of midseason MVP rankings as maybe the favorite so he's had a bizarre season where he played as well or better than he's ever played uh in a different style and then it was a disaster he played so poorly after that and then got hurt so it's been a a very like a very strange season the thing is he could play really well and their defense is 29th in dvoa so he's gonna need he's gonna need them to play better like josh johnson Played great last week. Josh Johnson's not only been better than all these emergency quarterbacks that have been called upon, but better than most backup quarterbacks. Like he, he scored t- touchdowns in three of his seven drives before it was like garbage time, and like, 
And that defense is totally falling apart. They yeah. do get some COVID guys back. I mean, are you going to win a shootout with the Rams? That's what's going to have right. to happen. Well, well, yeah, it's tough, why not? tough sledding. Why I'm not, not saying it, I'm not saying it's impossible. It just we got to play. It's, like it's not no, inevitable. I, be, he was, I yes. didn't think he was going to miss a week, and he's missed three. They clearly okie doked us here. But I, I think that it, it's unfair to say that it's on Lamar to get the Ravens to the Super Bowl. I think too much has happened to Baltimore to see them as a credible Super Bowl contender. I guess all I'm really saying is from an individual standpoint, yeah, uh, do something special these last two weeks. Uh, I don't know. The ankle thing's a real thing. So it might be like what we're seeing with Kyler, uh, not Kyler Murray, uh, with Jalen Hurts uh, the last couple of weeks. He came back from an ankle injury and hasn't run the football. Like, does Lamar lose that element of his game even when he returns? This might just be a broken Baltimore season. Uh, but I would like to see Lamar finish on a high note because, yeah, he even this year he was playing at that elite level and that all just kind of slipped away in the second half. All right. I'm going to move away from quarterback talk. I did have another. I had a couple quarterback ones, but we've done a lot of quarterback ones. So let me just let's head to the broadcast booth. I think even the greatest, uh, the biggest of the Romo heads out there, and I think, uh, Greg, you are you are right up the top of that list, will say that Tony's maybe taking a step back since he signed the big contract. Maybe not as invested. Maybe not doing the work at the same level. Still a nice, a, a, a really good presence. You feel like you're watching a big game when Tony's there with Nance, uh, but maybe he's not that, he's not like hitting home runs every Sunday like he used to. Is this the is this the playoffs where Romo going through the motions gets surpassed but in the by the people that track these things by Greg Olson with Kevin Burkhart the new darling of social media every Sunday the football cognizante gets all fired up about Greg Olson is that going to be a story that Andrew Marchand of the New York Post will be writing about? come late January. Don't we think that it's it's happened a little bit to some degree? I mean, not officially, but the Olsen love is, um, the outpouring is... Uh, well, he's the new cover of Teen Beat, like, uh, right. in, in, for football, the Twitterverse. Like, everybody loves Olsen. Well, you got these two Island Saturday primetime games, which I found, you know, instructive. Not only because everyone realized how great Greg Olsen is, but I believe Troy Aikman's in a contract situation right now. You think they put that little Olsen on the Saturday nights, big audiences? Hey, you better come to the bargaining table, Troy, or else uh, we'll see you at Amazon. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> I think with Romo, one thing, you're, a, you're another year removed from having been inside team walls, inside a team, and you have to start to attack a little bit differently. Um, maybe it's just, uh, I thought the, the game he was on, the Chiefs-Steelers game, was a tough draw because it was over within like 12 minutes and you're going to like B and C material. But that was by far, I thought, um, his least impressive Whoa. outing. As a, a, well, because I don't think he has a lot of least impressive ones. But I mean, if you go listen to that, he just seemed a little detached to me and out of it. I'm not trying to critique him because <laughs> I think he's awesome. He's clearly really, I, really good. That, like, was, that was a Game Pass game for me, so I didn't, I didn't get the Romo experience. But I, I am with you, Mark. I've seen games this year that weren't – they've had some dogs in general. 
And more than any announcer, he seems to totally lose lose investment if the game is not close. Like, <laughs> like he that is would like be a me. child. Be, yeah, you know. he is like a child where like he's so into it if it's close. But when it's not, it's like he seems to lose interest. <laughs> Couldn't you? Yeah. Can't you imagine uh, Jim Nance during a commercial break when Romo's interest in a game is waning, just pulling the stern dad routine, and he's like, "Okay, Tony, let's go. Tony, let's go." Maybe. I feel Wake like we up, have Tony. that feed. The pants we that have that feed where you though. can watch Sit them up and straight, like, hear Tony. them talking to each other, and they seem to genuinely like, like genuinely love each other. I mean, they really they're... love each other. I think, but I think I feel like Nance is still trying to impress Romo and be like the cool kid. Like he makes the little sarcastic jokes that Romo makes. So I don't know if he's <laughs> if he's coming too tough on. Last him. time we had a uh, Marchand on the show, <laughs> he had like a dicey internet connection. Uh, which was disappointing, but now he's got his own podcast he does, a media podcast, so you know he's got the Yeti, and you know he's got the rock-solid plugged-in internet setup. So, Ricky, we want to put that, put a pin in this, uh, and we're going to want to have some good old-fashioned NFL media play-by-play booth talk uh, when things quiet down in the NFL season. Mm. Absolutely. Little note, they, little note. They should get a wild card game and a divisional round. I don't know if they get a divisional Marchand. round. Game, but they should at least get a wild card game. Uh, the, the old Shout out to group. Andrew Marchand's brother, regular listener to the show. A Marchand <laughs> family affair. All right, I'm I'm rambling now. I'm Tony, I'm Tony Romo in the second quarter of a Steelers game in December. Um, one more, so Greg dis- Rosenthal. He was so disappointed. Uh, my final unsolved mystery. A show he's never seen. This is what's going on in Jacksonville. Ooh. Authorities have <laughs> reported that despite being a big part of an organization that has won three games combined over the last two years, that's one less than Joe Judge won this year. Ouch! Trent Balky was given... The keys to the kingdom. Trent Balky, who seems to be great at one thing, managing up. <laughs> Playing some politics. Like that. Surviving changes. Why is Trent Balky running a coaching search in the year 2021 that is my unsolved mystery that that's a great one and and tying together the theme of the show and another primetime program from the late 80s early 90s um i rather have balky bartokamas from uh, perfect strangers <laughs> running my team than trent balky because yeah uh, what I, has he done i'm with you but i don't know if the uh the russian cousin larry super plugged into the task right but. i don't know you know like just for some background trent balky was a 49ers guy back in the day kind of pushed out a few 49ers coaches too and always managed to survive that wasn't you know him and jim harbaugh eventually were at odds uh survived that uh and here in jacksonville where he was a key figure in convincing urban meyer to promote him and supposedly was integral in the hiring of this uh offensive line coach by the way uh, that Urban Meyer uh, eventually, you know, took all the flack for, has convinced owner Shad Khan that he is the man to run this team, and he has more power than ever. And the more we learn about Urban Meyer, it almost feels like Urban Meyer was so out to lunch that much of this team was run by Trent Balky the whole time. And uh, I hate the setup where coaches are inheriting the GM or the GM is inheriting the coach. 
it's a big pet peeve of mine. I feel you like hate that's, that so much. That's the number one ownership test. If you fail that test, yeah, you're bad. I know there's exceptions. Siciliano brought it up, the less need Sean McVay one. I don't need to hear the exceptions. There's a million other times. They need to be aligned. You need to hire them together. I don't. I don't like this setup, and I don't like it when everyone around that team doesn't like it either. Well, See, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at two people that have followed teams that have done right. that for a thousand years. I I also think that you know if you're Trent Balky, are there certain candidates out there who feel a certain way about him saying I I don't want that job uh, because I want this other job? If you're up for a couple, for instance, like the Jacksonville has attractive Trevor Lawrence makes it attractive in theory, but. You don't like the GM. You don't go there. It's, it should, and the ownership situation, I think Shad Khan's been a really good owner in terms of being a consistent, good businessman. But he's at the point now where he shouldn't be falling for this dog and pony show of keeping a GM around decisions. either. He keeps right. making these bad decisions. See, if you had Balky Bartokamas making the decision, you say, oh, should you mismatch coach and GM? He'd go, well, of course not, Larry. You don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Get out of the city. He'd have to have like a nice laugh track attached to like whenever he does a press conference. Now, I, wa- I, watched, I watched some Perfect Strangers back in the day. I even can remember that guy's name, Bronson Pinchot, I believe. Very good. Something like that. Uh, quickly, what, what was the, the new- fictional uh, country, uh, fictional area that he was from, Mark Sessler? Uh, Rosa Slavia. <laughs> Mipos. I- oh, yeah. Mipos. Uh, the Jaguars, by the way, have asked permission to interview Byron Lefwich, Todd Bowles, Dan Quinn, Doug Peterson, Kellen Moore, and Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus. So just a little bit of news. If they hired Doug Peterson, do they get Frank Reich also? <laughs> They get that statue of it's such an important hire. They they have this generational quarterback who has been put through hell. You can't mess it up. And God, do you trust them? I mean, I like that. You know what though? I I think they're going. I think that they're heading towards like a Jim Caldwell hire because it's like you know you had a super chaotic significant other girlfriend boyfriend and your next person is someone that is different. And like they're going to go super boring because they had a high drama, high problematic coach that nearly drug the organization into the sea. Right. Yeah. One of the reasons I hate this setup, and, and I know we'll end it soon, is GMs like Balky, to me, are going to one of their primary concerns is hiring a coach that he's going to have power over and control over. And that's like not what you want to be the priority in hiring your coach. That's true. That's fair. All right. That ends another episode of Unsolved Mysteries on the Around the NFL podcast. You will hear from us next on Thursday. Uh, We have no Thursday night football, so we have a full slate of games. We have Saturday games this week, as I understand, or at least one game. No. No, it's all Sunday. I think it was because of the bowl season, the college football playoffs. They took this Saturday off. We are running free. Look out. Wait till Sunday, baby. Is there a Monday night game? Yes. There is a Monday night game. Cleveland-Pittsburgh. Oh, right. That's the last Monday night game. Okay, Shoot so me we're with a bow and arrow a, in the head, please. A full Sunday slate. We're going to really need our buddy Nick Shook uh, for the flagship show, uh, and he will be there for us. Um, all right. Thank you to everybody for listening. What is, will we hear? When's New Year's Eve? That's Friday. Okay, Friday. so it won't be 2022 um, by the time you hear from us next. So... Uh, Forget that. I was going to say Happy New Year, but it's not time, so you don't get it yet. Early Live Happy in this New year. year. Yeah. All right, that's it. Dan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm. Uh, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood. Until Thursday, heed the call. Heed the call.